Well done. That was good fun. Okay. We're going to have Lyle come and share, read the word for us before it's preached. But before we do that, let's pray and prepare our hearts for what we're going to hear. Lord our God, you are our rock. You are our foundation. And by your word, you grow us to become stronger in our faith and more mature. And may that happen today as we hear your word. Prepare our hearts to hear and receive your word and may it change us for all the better to become more like Christ. Amen. Thanks, Lyle. Reading from Matthew. Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 to 29. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognise them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognise them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father, who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name drive out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you, Away from me, you evil girls. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. 
But when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching. Because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Lyle. Um, well, we are at the last part of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, and what a journey it's been. Uh, but you all know the saying, right? Appearances can be deceiving. I was trying to figure a way of illustrating this, uh, and the best I could do was this game that the, my kids and I have played before called Bean Boozled. Uh, it's this game where there's, there's a slide up there. You have these pack of jelly beans, and I don't know, is anyone, is anyone familiar with this? Um, you cannot tell whether they're a normal flavoured nice jelly bean or something that's flavoured like spoiled milk or dead fish or rotten egg or mouldy cheese or stinky socks. <laughs> uh, anyway, don't think about that too much. Uh, but you, 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 the whole point of the game is you, you can't tell what's actually going to happen, what's on the inside by the appearance on the outside. <laughs> uh, it looks at the same, but it's actually rotten on the inside. Okay, let's move on from that. Um, <laughs> as I said, we're coming to the end of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount today, and the whole idea of this, this whole idea of appearance versus reality has been a big theme all the way through Jesus' sermon. Uh, Jesus came, if you remember, in those early chapters of Matthew, we heard that Jesus has come proclaiming the kingdom of heaven has come near and calling everyone to repent and believe in the kingdom. And in this sermon, he's showing us what life in the kingdom looks like. Uh, and if you remember, when, when the sermon started way back in chapter 5, he, he talked about, he kicked his sermon off by talking about those who are the blessed ones in his kingdom. Remember that back in chapter 5? And it's not who you would expect, right? Appearances can be deceiving. The blessed ones in Jesus' kingdom are the poor in spirit, those who mourn, those who are meek, uh, those who are persecuted. Um, then this main, the main chunk of Jesus' sermon, the whole way through he's been contrasting these two ways of living, two ways of being righteous. There's this uh, outward external righteousness of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. But then there's the inner heart righteousness of Jesus and his kingdom. Um, you, can't, you, you can look right on the outside, right? You see what he's saying? You can look like a nice tasty jelly bean, <laughs> a bit rotten on the inside. You can look right on the outside. Uh, you can tick all the boxes, but it be a sham, a self-righteous, hypocritical mask. Uh, so the, the, all the way through we're hearing that Jesus... The kingdom that he is building is a kingdom where he cares not just about the externals, but about the heart. Not just on what things look like on the outside. Well, that same contrast has been there all the way through this amazing sermon of Jesus uh, is all, also all the way through this ending of his sermon. It's, a, it's the kind of big theme that ties it all together, this contrast of appearance versus reality. So he, Jesus uses this to tie everything together and to leave us with a challenge as we finish hearing this sermon, to leave us all with a challenge. After everything you've heard, how will you respond 
So that's really what Jesus is driving home to us today. How will you respond? See, Jesus isn't, he's not just a, another philosopher who's giving us some nice ideas about life that we can take or, or leave as we think, as we want. He's not just giving us some lofty ideas to ponder and go away basically unchanged by. He's not just another option on the smorgasbord of religious teachers. He has come as the king of heaven. He's come in glorious fulfillment of all the saving purposes of God. Uh, and so at, at the end of his sermon, he, he wants to kind of shake his hearers up. He wants to warn them and us not to be fooled by appearances, but to take into our hearts what he says, what Jesus says about reality, uh, to trust him at his word and to go all in on him. Because his way might seem less impressive and narrower, but it is actually, if we see rightly, uh, it is actually the way of life. So he, he calls us to a decision today. And he uses these three images through this last uh, part of his sermon. He uses three images, three parables to make his appeal, these two gates, these two fruits, and then these two builders. So we'll kind of look at each of, each of those as we go through. Verse 13 says, Enter through the narrow gates, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it, but small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. So uh, Jesus pictures these two roads, two ways of walking, two ways of living your life, two gates to go through. There's this broad one that has heaps of room. It's an easy walk to walk down. It uh, looks like the road you want to take. Uh, but then there's this narrow one. So, but the broad one, there's a picture up there. Um, but another kind of image I uh, was thinking about during the week was, have you seen the new beginnings to the new causeway? Uh, it's going to be this great wide pathway with room for everyone to stroll over to Granite Island. Now, this is not a comment on the merits or not of rebuilding the causeway or, the, or a comment on whether or not it will lead to destruction. Uh, it's just an illustration. <laughs> but uh, it's going to be this you know, lovely wide path. The point that Jesus is making is that appearances can be deceiving, right? Appearances can be deceiving, the broad, easy, popular way that looks like the way you want to take the best way actually ends up with no future to it. It ends up in destruction. And it's this narrow way, the, the way that looks hard going, the way that isn't popular, that's actually, in reality, the way of life. And Jesus makes this urgent appeal to his listeners and he makes it to you today to enter that narrow gate. To enter the narrow gate, to walk the narrow path. So this is just really helpful for us to hear, isn't it? Now, Jesus doesn't sugarcoat what it looks like to follow him. Uh, he knows that his way, at least from one perspective appears a lot less impressive, a lot more difficult. It requires hard work and perseverance, and it can be lonely. Uh, and he's, he's already shown that, actually, all the way through his sermon. Right? He's already shown us this. His way, he's not, his, his way is not just a kind of easy cosmetic change on the outside. Uh, his way goes down deep to the uncomfortable places of our hearts, 
uh, even to our anger and lust and unforgiveness and desire for revenge. Uh, his narrow road is one where he, he calls his people to give up their rights and instead walk the much harder way of forgiveness and reconciliation and, and even love for those who are their enemies. So Jesus has shown this all the way through this sermon, this narrow way. But do you hear the destination? Hear the destination? And this is where the appearance just it doesn't match up with reality. There's this eternal future in view. So the wide road uh, ends in destruction. And that, that destination far outweighs any of the pleasures you might find by walking along it. But the glory of where the narrow road ends just far outshines any, any hardship that you might experience on the way, right? This is the path that leads to life. And that you also see that through, throughout Jesus' sermon, right, as we've been reading through. You also see that. Um, the life of Jesus' kingdom, the life of the poor in spirit, those who mourn, the, the meek, the merciful, the pure, the peacemakers, the persecuted, it really is the blessed life. It really is the light of the world. Uh, this kingdom of restored relationships with one another, of purity and faithfulness in our relationships, of incredible heavenly treasure being stored up. Uh, ultimately, and if you, do you see how Jesus has shown us this, this life that is part of his kingdom all the way through? Ultimately, it's a life of intimate relationship with your Father in heaven who you can come to, uh, poor and anxious and needy, who you can come to, confident that he will always give you good things. Uh, one theologian puts it like this. He's, uh, it's, uh, he's talking about this Sermon on the Mount, and he writes, But in talking about all this, have we not made an amazing discovery? As we have heard that this is a hard and narrow way that leads through dark, dying and dark places, have we not suddenly seen in the narrowness the breadth? In the dying, the living, and in him who seems to make living so hard, the great liberator. For we can never speak about Jesus, even when we have to speak of the narrowness of the way, without constantly speaking of the joy, the comfort, the promise, and the liberation that exists wherever he is. Wherever he is. So what do we make of all of this, this uh, narrow gate? This, well, the narrow gate image is kind of like a turnstile at Adelaide Oval or a turnstile at some sort of centre. Uh, it's, uh, I'll explain what I mean. Uh, it's, it's so narrow that you can't, you can't be swept through it by the crowd. You can't be swept through it by um, sort of tailgating other people. You can't just find yourself on this road by being married to a Christian or being friends with a Christian or having Christian parents or even by coming to church week by week and being carried along by the enthusiasm of the group. 
This really does come down to you, alone, before Jesus, who meets you at the turnstile, at the gates, the narrow gates. But do you notice how this is an invitation for everyone? You do come alone. So Jesus isn't going to let you just tailgate after someone else. But Jesus, he, he's not like a, um, a grumpy ticket sales collector at the gates who's sort of begrudgingly letting you through if you show your credentials. Um, he, he, he welcomes anyone. He says, come, enter through this gate. This is the kingdom for the poor in spirit, for the ones who have nothing to offer. And those who do come find a king who we're going to read later in Matthew's gospel. They find a king who is gentle and lowly in heart, whose yoke is easy and whose burden is light. And while his way is narrow, it's also wonderfully and unexpectedly the road where you will find rest for your soul because it's his road, the source of all your rest. So, so how? How do you go through this gate? What, is that, what would that look like? Well, we've seen it earlier in Matthew's Gospel. Uh, Jesus has said, the kingdom of heaven is near, so repent. Turn around. Recognize you're going down the wrong road. Turn from that wide road and turn to Jesus. Put your trust in him consciously, deliberately, as your saviour and your king. Receive his forgiveness that he won at the cross and live walking his road. Not, it's not perfectly, that's not what's in view here. Uh, but when you mess up, repenting again, sure of his forgiveness, keeping coming back to him and asking him to work deeply in your heart to keep empowering you to live his way. So that's entering the narrow gate walking this narrow road that leads to a spectacular ending, leads to life. So, friends, Jesus asks us, but he, he, more than that, actually, he asks you, singular. He asks you, have you entered his narrow gate? And if you haven't, uh, Jesus, according to Jesus, this is sort of, this is Jesus' words, right? If you haven't, you're on a road that has, that lends, ends in destruction, that has no future. And Jesus wants to warn you, to urge you to feel the seriousness and the urgency of this decision that he calls you to, that he calls you to today. Okay, so there's two gates, two roads. Um, the second image that Jesus puts before us, though, about this appearances being deceiving is that of two fruits. Again, in this next section from verse 15, he talks about this. So he warns in verse 15, he says, watch out for false prophets, for those who speak the word of God to his people. It's a bit hard to know exactly what Jesus has in mind. I think in the context, he's probably talking about the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. Um, probably, a clo- the, uh, to my mind, the closest parallel to us would be preachers, uh, people who preach and teach the word of God. And Jesus says to his, to his people, watch out for those who come looking like sheep, 
uh, on the outside, looking like one of the flock, but who are inwardly vicious wolves, ferocious wolves. It's just it's a tragic reality that this does happen. It's happened all through the history of Christ's church. It continues to happen today. That leaders in Christ's kingdom can at first glance look impressive while all the while abusing the trust that's placed in them and leaving a trail of devastation in their wake. But it's not just leaders who are in view here. You get that down in verse 27. Uh, sorry, 22. Verse 22, Jesus says, Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Now tell them plainly, Jesus says, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. It's the same thing Jesus has been saying through his sermon. He, he hasn't come just to paint over the externals of our lives. He's come to bring about a much deeper inner transformation of our hearts. So he uses this image of tree, a tree and its fruit, two different fruits. Uh, he, doesn't, uh, he says it doesn't matter how impressive the tree looks, what matters is the quality of the fruit. Uh, that will show the truth about what the tree really is. He says, by their fruits, you will recognize them. Uh, and the thing about fruit is, right, it's, this, it's an organic outworking of the reality of the tree. Like it's, it's the, the tree is sort of an organic, natural outworking. Um, so what's going on here? Jesus isn't saying here, he's not kind of reverting to some kind of salvation by works. He's not saying just try to produce good fruit and that'll make you a good tree. It doesn't work like that at all. In fact, in verse 18, if you pick that up as we read through, he says, a good tree cannot bear bad fruit and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. But he is saying that if by God's grace you have come to Jesus, you've put your trust in him, you've been forgiven and you've been given new life, that will flow out in how you live. It has to. Um, and so, and what is this fruit, though, that will grow on a good tree? Jesus says, uh, uh, again, it's not quite what you might expect, right? Appearances can be deceiving. Uh, it's not all the impressive stuff. It's not being a great speaker. It's not having amazing spiritual experiences, performing miracles. Uh, all those, uh, none of those things, actually, according to Jesus, None of those things are the fruit that he's really interested in. It's so interesting, isn't it? It's so different to what we'd expect and to what we often look for and kind of run after. What is this fruit, though? Well, it, here's what it is. Simple, everyday, unimpressive obedience to God. The ordinary things of godliness and self-sacrifice and love... The, the kind of in-secret obedience. Remember that from chapter 6? The in-secret obedience that no one else sees. Verse 20, 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So our, our obedience doesn't earn our way into heaven. It's not like that. That's not what's going on. It doesn't earn our way into heaven, but it always goes along with it. 
uh, our way into Jesus' kingdom. Uh, it's the natural fruit that grows from trees that have been given new life by Jesus. Which does mean that if over a long period of time there is no gospel fruit in your life, if, if you've heard Jesus' sermon and it's just been a few interesting ideas to ponder and nothing more, uh, if judgmentalism or greed or anger or lust or unforgiveness are, are not just parts of your life like they are for all of us, but they're part of your life and you're not particularly bothered by them when you're really honest. Um, and you're not going to your father to, to ask him and seek him and knock at his door to help you. Uh, Jesus does want to warn you to wake you up to the danger of your position. Verse 19, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So, perhaps that's you and you recognise that. What can you do? Well, Jesus has already told you what you can do, actually. Enter! Come to him! Enter the narrow gates! Repent and believe the good news about him, that he can give you a new heart and a new life with God. Ask, and what does Jesus say? It will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. So, two paths, two fruits. And the last image he uses is these two builders. It's one more picture. Uh, and again, appearances can be deceiving. <laughs> uh, two houses can look exactly alike. Uh, they can look exactly alike, actually, in lots of different ways. But it's what you can't see, the foundations that are underneath them. That's what's really important. Um, especially, especially when the storms come. Verse 24. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice... Is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell. With a great crash. I don't know if you remember, right at the start of this sermon, we started the sermon talking about wisdom. Jesus as the, our wise teacher here. And wisdom's all about seeing the grain of the universe, the way things really are. And by God's grace, lining our lives up with that. Living in line with it. And what Jesus is doing as he finishes his sermon, uh, he, he's using these strong images uh, for, so that we might trust him. When, when he talks about that grain, the way things really are, um, what he says about reality, he says, don't trust your, your own eyes, your own heart, or the heart of the crowd around you, because appearances can be deceiving. This really is just a, it's a call for us to trust him and his word. And, and don't just hear his words. Do you notice both the wise and the foolish builder, they both hear Jesus? Um, what's the difference between them is whether you put them into practice. 
It's such a stunning thing for Jesus to say, isn't it? Uh, stunning thing to say. Uh, the crowds knew that. Um, this, uh, uh, in verse 28, sorry, uh, they're amazed when Jesus finishes. They're amazed because in verse 29 he had such authority, such boldness, right, to claim that life and death for every human person hangs on their relationship to him and his word. That's basically what Jesus is saying here. Um, such boldness, such authority. But ultimately that's what, that's what it comes down to. Uh, if we accept these claims about who Jesus is and what he's done, ultimately being a Christian at the end of the day is about trusting Jesus, both what he's said and what he's done in the cross and in his resurrection that we're going to really focus in on and celebrate next week. But the promise of this passage, the promise of the kingdom of heaven, is that those who are poor in spirit, who come with empty hands to Jesus, the promise is actually that if you do that, you will receive far more than you could ever have imagined. Far more than you could ever dream. Far more than anyone would expect if you're just judging by appearances. You receive life. New life now and real eternal life in the age to come. A new life that flows out in a life of real fruitfulness. A life of humble obedience to your Father who sees in secret. And all of this is founded on a rock that can't be shaken. A foundation that will hold you through any storm. Any storm in this life and ultimately into the life to come. So there is an urgent warning here, but also a bright promise and maybe wherever anyone is at here, maybe uh, all of us need to hear that on one level or another. Maybe you need to hear both. Either way, today, uh, Jesus calls not just us, but you, singular. <laughs> Jesus calls you to respond to his word. Maybe for the first time, consciously in the secret places of your hearts to come to Jesus and enter his narrow gates to repent and put your faith in him. Don't put that off. Talk to someone about it today. Talk to me about it after the service today. Or maybe for you it's not so much entering the gate but a bit of a course correction along the way that you need to hear as we come to the end of Jesus' sermon. Maybe uh, God, is, God by his spirit is prodding you in some area where you've heard Jesus' words but you're not putting them into practice. So that maybe that's another, another area that we respond to, that you respond to. But perhaps for you it's not so much a course correction as simply this reminder of your destination. Uh, you need your vision, you need your king to lift your eyes to see the glory and beauty of Jesus' kingdom. And with that insight, to kind of be fueled on for the next leg of your journey along this narrow path that leads to life. Wherever you're at, the place to start and to continue is through prayer. So let me pray. Let me pray together.
The crowds were amazed at the teaching of our Lord. For he taught with one, as one with such authority. Our God, we thank you for this teaching. We pray that, you might, that we might be amazed like those crowds were, but not just amazed. We might hear and trust and put into practice what our Lord says to us in, uh, in this sermon that we've been reflecting on over these last weeks. Lord, uh, I pray for any here today who have not entered that narrow gate that you might convict their hearts and bring them to, to that gate to walk through it, to receive life and forgiveness and restoration, to enter into your kingdom. Uh, Father, for all of us, please help us to keep our eyes fixed on that glorious, glorious destination that you are bringing us to. Uh, we thank you for that and we pray that in the light of that destination, all of the struggles along the way would find their place. Uh, keep us faithful to you, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Duncan. We now have a time to respond. And we're going to sing a song in response to what we've heard. A song called Here is Love. And is love shown in no deeper way than for one to give his life for another. And Christ gave his life for us. He deserves our response. Let's stand and sing together. Mm.